There couldn't be better lyrics to lead us into our time and our talk this morning in our fifth and final week of a series that we've titled uh, The Great Commission. And we've been walking through the book of John chapter 4, and much like those lyrics had said there, tell the world of the treasure you found, right? That's our assignment as followers of Jesus Christ on this Great Commission assignment together in this journey, side by side with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, is to go out into the world, right? To be active participants that are spreading the message of Jesus Christ. And we've been walking through this journey in John chapter 4, and we've observed uh, the first four questions of this series. We've asked questions throughout this series. Today will be the fifth question that we'll answer together from the text. But as we've been journeying through those first 45 verses that we've covered, today we'll, we'll cover 46 through 54 and conclude the, ch the chapter of John 4. Um, we've answered four of our five series questions already. Why do we serve? Where do we serve? When do we serve? And who do we serve? Today, we explore the how can I serve question. And I'd like to say that a little bit differently for those that have truly dedicated their life to Christ and understand who Jesus is and what he did for you. How can't you serve? How couldn't you serve? It's so important that it encompasses the whole message of the good news of the saving faith in Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus served so many places, so many people, in so many areas to show us an example of what our lives should look like. Are we always going to get this right? No. But in the end, it matters a lot. In the end, it matters a lot. So today I want to answer this question, how can I serve? John 4, 46 through 54, in a message I've titled, A Place for Me, with the takeaway being this. After we come to a saving trust in the truth of Jesus Christ, we are then called to establish a track record of helping others in times of trial and tribulation. A track record. A history there, there are multiple times that should be noted in your file on the day that you face Jesus Christ face to face. Multiple times of you willingly, without wanting anything in return, but to just simply be the mercy that's been shown to you. To simply be that grace and that strength and that support like Jesus has been for you through the Holy Spirit. To show somebody that you love them. Just like Christ first loved you. We love, right? The Bible says, because God first loved us. So now as we consider a place for me, a personal way that we can personally give thanks to God and glorify him in our lives, and in doing so, do what the Apostle Paul even said in Romans 12, where he says, your real spiritual worship is laying your body down as a sacrifice. That's authentic worship. It's being used with the gifts God's given you through the Holy Spirit to be glorifying him and be, be extending his love outward into others. God's word says this in John 4, verses 46 through 54. 
Then he, meaning Jesus, went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his slaves met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this opportunity to gather underneath the word of God and to learn more about the will of our God. And God, we thank you that as we gather and as we meet, your Holy Spirit speaks to us. You guide us, you lead us, you direct us for your name's sake and for our sake. We thank you, God, that in all situations and circumstances and whatever we're going through in life right now, whatever season we should find ourselves in, whatever we're trying to sort out, you meet us and you care for all of our needs. Speak to us now, Father, as we trust you, as we turn to the scriptures, as we look at just a small portion of Jesus' life, that we might be divine partakers and participants in what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, everybody said Catching us up before we dive into this text this morning, there have been some places discussed, now three, including this one. In the first 45 verses, you'll notice in the first couple of verses of John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving Judea. It's not going to be on the screen, but he has departed from Judea because of this riffraff or whatever's going on with these Pharisees, right? How I want to label these three groups, really essentially, that are going to be seen in John chapter Chapter 4 are the religious, the rebels, and the rioters, okay? As, as we talk about these religious folks, these people in Judea, these Pharisees, the conflict Jesus would have all of his life in his ministry, he at some point decides, I got to get out of here. And the Bible makes mention that he again heads to Galilee. Well, if he's doing it again, what happened the first time? There was a wedding celebration and there was a miracle. It's the first sign, the first wonder Jesus had ever performed of the seven signs that John documents. He turned that water into wine and in turning that water into wine, John chapter 2 verse 11 goes so far as to say that they believed because of the miracle. Right? And so they, they, they displayed that his, his miracle had made these people perceive him in a whole new way. Now, what's interesting to note is as he's going again to Galilee, it then says he had to, which we discussed in this first week of the series, that he didn't really have to pass through Samaria. As a matter of fact, a Jew would not want to be in Samaria because of the tension between them and the judgment towards them. 
So far back it dates that these were the guys that literally tore down the temple of the Samaritans, these Jews were. Jesus being a Jew now stepping into Samaria on purpose for a purpose by the purpose giver, his heavenly father, who called him here to this earth to live as an example and die in our place and resurrect him again on the third day. Jesus now moving into this area, moving into Samaria, is moving into a community that is pretty well described best as being rebellious. That's what the Jews would have said. You would have talked to any Jew, they would have said, these guys are rebels. Therefore, with that being the kind of hovering or dark cloud over their heads, you could probably say that Samaria was a place of discord, a place that had been damaged, obviously, with the temple being destroyed and all that. It's a place of depression and a place of oppression. But what's interesting about Samaria is we journeyed through that time with that Samaritan woman who converted, then went into the community, and the community came to Jesus, and then they all converted. Is Samaria is going to separate itself, right? These Samaritans will separate themselves from Galilee in one simple sense. They needed no miracle to believe. It was what they heard from a woman and what they had heard from Jesus. And then they gave that testimony, because we talked to him and he told us, we now believe. We believe for ourselves. We own it. Now in Galilee, Galilee, working his way from Judea, the religious, Samaria, the rebels, now to Galilee, the rioters, or peaceful protesters, whatever they call those, we talked last week about the welcoming that Jesus was given and they welcomed him, and they were happy to see him. And Jesus basically has already kind of established this idea that these people need signs. They need miracles. They want what I can do, not necessarily who I am in a relationship. As we consider Galilee, we have to remember That in Galilee, there has been a display already fully executed of the force and the fullness and the power and provision of the deity of God in Christ. They saw what he did at the celebration in John 2. So now Jesus moves his way in here, and I want to talk today about five things we can clearly see in the text from 46 through 54, starting with, number one, the trials and tribulations of this life in verses 46 and 47. God's word says, Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. I think one of life's most unfortunate events and one of the hardest spots that we can find ourselves in is when we love somebody and they're hurting and we can do nothing to take the pain away. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say. There's nothing in the world within our strength to stop the suffering that they are experiencing. The sicknesses and sufferings of this life are hard, but I think when it's somebody else that you love 
and they're struggling and you can't insert your strength to help drive them through it, it gets even more complicated. Here this guy is and his son is so severely sick and ill that he's on his way to death. He's on his way to breathe his last breath. The trauma, can you imagine how traumatic this is for this man? Can, can you imagine being in this spot, helpless, hurting? He hears now that Jesus is coming and he's like, I gotta make a break for it and get to him. He's the last hope. Remember what I had said about Galilee and Galilee Jesus was cool, but he was cool because of what he could do. He does cool things. He turns water into wine, right? Here now, this guy hears Jesus is coming. And so therefore, he's heard about what Jesus has done. He might even have been at that wedding. He might have even seen firsthand the force of God in Jesus Christ and the deity of God in Christ. Now here he is, and he's making a break for him, and Jesus is going to meet him with the second thing that we can see clearly in this text, a truth. We see truth from Jesus Christ. I love this because it shows us that God knows our hearts. One of the most humbling verses in Scripture is found right after he performs that first miracle, that first sign in John chapter 2. The Bible literally gives us an account that Jesus, seeing inside of their hearts and knowing their hearts, decided not to trust anybody. And Jesus is fully aware of the audience and the atmosphere that he's in now. This guy's coming to him, and he's saying, you got to get here. i got to get to you. Something's got to happen. He's pleading. He's begging. Please, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, unless you people, whoa, whoa, you people. How does that go in normal conversations? Anybody watch the news? Now's not a good time to be saying you people to any people because all the people are upset at all the people. And we the people, and you the people, and all the people, and every people that's ever peopled is people problems right now. But Jesus lays it on here, doesn't he? You people, you're kind. Galilee, Cana, you people. You need something a little different, don't you? You have to see them signs and them wonders or otherwise you won't believe. You got to think Jesus has just left Samaria where they didn't need a sign or a wonder. They welcomed him with open arms and received the gospel for what it is. They said, wow, we believe because of what you said. It seems pretty to the point and direct, doesn't it? It's not at all like the Samaritans are in contrast when we consider the places that Jesus has been administered to in John chapter 4. 
Now, in, in this third thing from the text, from verses 49 and 50, we see trust to act upon what Jesus says. And that's what God's calling all of us to do, by the way. He's said a lot, yes. A lot of people are like, I can't hear him. Uh, have you opened this? He talked to you the whole time. Prayer is us talking to God. The Bible is him talking back, right? The word of God are the words of God. And, and, and sometimes we miss God because we're in the mundane. And why doesn't he just open the sky and if he could show up on the bench and eat Arby's with me or whatever? And the fact of the matter is, here Jesus is and he's like telling this guy to do something and we're going to see that he actually follows through and from the follow through receives the blessing. Is this true? Is this Galatians 6 and work? What you sow, if you don't grow weary in doing good, you will reap in due season. Is it always right away? No. Sometimes the offering hurts, doesn't it? It did Jesus on the cross, I know that, and look what we got out of it. So now as he engages him, let's keep James's words in mind, Jesus' half-brother, when he said in James chapter 2, that faith without deeds is dead. It's not even faith if it's not backed with the principles of giving, the principles of serving, the principles of action to the words that we read, the words that we hear. If we simply just take a whole bunch of words in, We've got a lot of knowledge, right? But no salvation. Because you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave on that third day. God's word records this in 49 and 50 now. Trust to act upon what Jesus says, the third truth, the five truths. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him, and he departed. I just want to look at this really quick. Look, look, look at what happens here. Jesus says, go. What does he do? He departs. He listened. He actually listened, like actively. Hey, what this guy's saying could save my son. Look at this next part. Your son will live. What are those words? The man believed what Jesus said. There it is all over the book of John. Believe, 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 believe. Pistuo. I trust this. I have confidence that he's going to come through. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's my Lord and Savior who lived and died for me on the cross. He was resurrected. He's ruling and reigning for me at the right hand, interceding and mediating on my behalf, pouring out his Holy Spirit, shed abroad into my heart through the love of God, like Romans 5 would tell us. 
and I trust him. I look at my life and I can see how good he's been to me and how great I have it, even in spite of me being me. God still blesses me. God still keeps his word to me. He's a faithful father watching over his word like the Bible tells us to perform it perfectly in our lives. This man acts upon what Jesus says in in 49 and 50. He departs at the word go. He believes that the words your son will live. Now let's see what happens. Verse 4, triumph for the gospel. Verses 51 through 53. Trials and tribulations of this life, verses 46 and 47, truth from Jesus Christ, verse 48, trust to act upon what Jesus says, 49 and 50, now triumph for the gospel in verses 51 and 53 of John chapter 4. While he was still going down, he's departed from Jesus, he believes what he says, he's gone, he's going. He's going down, he's on his merry way, his slaves meet him on his way down. And they give him the news, your boy's alive. He didn't die. He lived. Verse 52, the man asked his slaves, what time did he get better? Yesterday at 7 in the morning the fever left him, they answered. Watch this. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed, along with his whole household. I don't know if you invest or if you know anything about investing But there's a snowballing, compounding effect in investments that when it starts happening, you're just happy you did it. It takes some time. It takes some trust. It takes some eh, saying no to some of this, to say yes to a little bit of this. And over time, as it starts to compound and swell up and draw interest and pay out dividends, you're just happy as can be that you did it. Multiply that by five billion. That's how this guy feels right now. He told me to go, and I went. He told me my boy would live, and he's alive. He said it at 7 a.m. It happened at 7 a.m. As a lot of people want to refer to God's divine doings, we have to make sure that we don't refer to them in this way. It was a coincidence. Coincidence or cause and effect? The cause is God's glory. The effect is what effect it has on your heart, but only you get to make that decision. I can't make that decision for you. None of your friends can make that decision for you. Your dad, your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, your best friend, your aunt, your uncle, your nieces, your nephews. Nobody else can decide that you can trust God or will trust God. You have to make up your mind to say, I believe. 
I believe even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the world's going to hell in a handbasket, when everybody's saying this, I believe this. I believe this is the solid foundation upon which we'll stand and won't be shaken. I believe like the wise builder did, I need to build upon a solid foundation. That way when the rain and the floods and the storms and the craziness all hits and the calamities of this life, I won't be thrown like everybody else around me. Look around, they're being tossed. And look at you, you're just still in the presence of God right now. And Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Exodus 14.14, God said to Moses, You just be still, I'll fight for you. I, I got it. Like the song said, when we're raising our white flag, we're surrendering, we acknowledge it as the battle rages on and wars on and the fight is on and the devil is on and the evil enemies at work are on and the war in the heavenlies is happening and we're being bombarded and we're being attacked. We acknowledge that the war has already been won. In the darkest day of humanity... And the darkest day in history became the day that led to our greatest victory. The resurrection of Jesus Christ ensures the resurrection of each and every one of us who put our faith, hope, and trust in him. As we acknowledge, Jesus, your name is the name above all names. You are the Lord of all lords. You are the king of all kings. I don't care what Congress says. I don't care what chemistry class says. I don't care what kids at school say. I don't care what my crazy coworkers have to offer. The bosses, the CEOs, the president, the vice. I don't, I don't care. Because there's a Lord of all. And one day... You talk about a powerful name. Not only does Acts 4.12 say there is no other name by which the name of Jesus given which men can be saved. Not only does Jesus say I am the way, the truth, and the life, but nobody comes to the Father except for through me. Paul goes so far as to say in Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's kind of ironic to think the words that when we said it and we declared it and proclaimed it are the words that saved us and those same words when they're declared by some will be the words that separate them. Because in that day it's too late. We've had our chances God was patient with us, just like he said in 2 Peter 3, 9, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, all to change their mind and put their trust in Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, knowing that it's only through him a sinner gets saved. So we work our way from trials and tribulations to this life. Truth from Jesus Christ, trust act upon what Jesus says, triumph for the gospel. Now we get to the place for us, a place for me, a place for you. What does that look like? Verse 54, this therefore was the second sign 
Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Hmm. Hmm. Do you think people have trust issues? Do they? How many of you guys have ever heard something to this effect? And you could do a million great things for somebody and do the one wrong thing and you're done. Is that true? Is that an unfortunate of this life and this reality that we lived? And because of this, unfortunately, for so many people, they transfer the lack of trust that they have in humans into the trust that they're going to have with God because they see humans, especially Christians, as an extension of God. Now, don't get too uptight when I'm saying this because understand that you aren't God and I'm not God and God's going to do what God's going to do with or without us. His will will be done over ours any day of the week, Job 42 too, right? The will of God cannot be thwarted. So take a deep breath. But understand this. These now are multiple incidents recorded in one place that show compassion, that show care. And it's weird because when we look at these miracles... One was in the middle of a celebration, and one was in the middle of a sickness and a suffering. And it's almost like God's trying to show us something. It's almost like God's still God, and he still wants us to love him, even when it's going good. Even when everything is great, that we would still go to him that we'd still lean into him, that we would still trust him. Here now, though, we see Jesus modeling something to us, and he's showing us track records matter. And I ask the question, what does your track record say? And don't let the enemy discourage you in this, because I'm not talking about a list of faults because they got canceled at the cross. I'm not talking about that. 2 Corinthians 5.19 makes us very privy to the understanding that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against us. That's liberating. There is no record of wrong. Doesn't Paul say that in the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Are wrongs going to happen? Oh, yeah. Are rights going to happen? Yeah. Sometimes you're going to do something really slick and you're going to look around like a kid. Did anybody see that? God did. And sometimes you're going to fall and you're going to stumble and you're going to hope nobody saw it. The battle is real, brothers and sisters. 
But when we talk about track record, what I'm talking about is not a list of your faults. I'm talking about service done from the faith that you've placed in Jesus. You trusted Christ for salvation. In the moment of trust, you became a divine partaker and a recipient of his Holy Spirit. God now indwelling and infilling you has given you specific gifts to be in the body of Christ. You're in the body of Christ. Welcome. I told a guy this past week, he's like, I, I, I don't know if I can serve and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, do you believe in Jesus? He's like, yeah. It's like, do you have the Holy Spirit? He said, yeah. I said, well, dude, you're in a body with me and I want a six pack, so you better get to work. But it's true, we're a body. And every body part serves different functions. This isn't let's do as much as we can, as fast as we can, and burn ourselves out. This is what contribution can I make on a consistent basis and a level of sustainability that does not short-circuit me in time? What's manageable? What's sustainable? Jesus has developed a track record here. In developing a track record, we should learn from the example of Jesus. We should look for ways to serve others. We should connect in the body of Christ. And in closing, we should know. We should know there's coming a day where we're going to hear well, one of two things. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or depart from me. I never knew you. As the worship team makes their way up, I want to read a story. It's found in uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's not going to be on the screen. It's the parable of the talents, for it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. This is Jesus using a parable. This is a, this is a story with a practical, real-life meaning. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. God knows our ability, amen? God ain't going to give you a whole bunch of stuff that you ain't going to be able to handle or manage or like tend to appropriately or steward. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way the man with, who, with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and, and, and Jesus said to him, or, or he said to Jesus, Master, you gave, gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered. So I was afraid. And I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look what you have is still yours. But his master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have just deposited my money with the bankers. 
And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 30, scary, sobering, humbling, true, written in red. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's separating them? Two here, well done. One says, you're, one here's you're done. It's done. We're done. Sadder than that, in the middle of the storyline, in the middle of the conversation, his rebuttal to Jesus when he talks to him is, I know you. Do you? Do you really know Jesus? Because could it be possible to know Jesus and not be willing to give up everything when Jesus says, you've got to be willing to lose your life for my sake if you want to gain it eternally? I, I'm not going to sit up here. This isn't going to be a time where I stand up here and I say ministry. Ministry is the toughest thing on the face of this earth. You will lose a lot the second that you say yes to Jesus and you start serving his body. You'll lose a lot when you actually start pouring your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength into the community. When you pour your energy out into others. When you take time for Jesus. When you make time for his people. You will lose a lot. A few of those things. You'll lose people that thought loved you. you you'll lose precious time in your comfort zone. You'll even lose possessions. But man, wouldn't it be a shame to be like the rich young ruler? And in fear of losing what you have, lose a chance to have eternal life. You'll lose possessions, but God also says, even in the story in verse 29, he's got that covered. You'll lose all of this, but what you'll gain, follower of Jesus Christ, is so much more. It's so much more. You'll gain eternal satisfaction. You, you'll gain internal strength. You'll gain an external confidence that you never had before. You'll start to look in the mirror and love the man or woman you've become. You'll sleep at peace at night when you lay down your head. You'll know at the end of the day you're a part of a bigger thing, a grander thing, a greater thing, an eternal thing, a rewarding thing, a thing that this life can't offer, nothing in the moment can offer, but only the Lord Jesus offers. As you start to serve and as you start to go and as you start to grow and as those seeds start being scattered and you get to look at them year after year after year, and you watch them harvest. We graduated together. We graduated together. This guy had to be older. Don't worry about him. It might be next week. It might be next month. It might be a decade from now. But just like the Apostle Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Keep it up. Keep serving. Keep going. Keep growing. 
Break up with the insecurities. Break up with the lies. Break up with the negative impact and those people that are just pushing you down, not bringing out the best in you. Break up with anything that breaks you from the promise and presence of God in your life. Break through by breaking up into a place and a position in the presence of God that you cannot help but to be swollen on the Holy Spirit. So saturated, so infiltrated, so inundated. Not with the stupid stuff that screams for our attention in this life, but stuff that's really good for your eternal life. And Jesus asked a question in Mark 8, 36. What does a man benefit if he gets it all and loses his soul? Ain't no $100 bill worth your soul. Ain't no time on your time clock in your schedule that's worth your soul. Ain't no position, ain't no possession, ain't no promotion, ain't no people. Ain't nothing worth your soul. You lose your soul, life sucks. You're miserable. You're tired. You're worn out. You're exhausted. You're looking in the mirror asking yourself, how did I become this way? Who have I even become? Where did I lose me? And I bet if you always go back to that question, you'll always have an answer of where you lost you if you lost you. You lost you trying to gain and grow outside of eternity. You lost you in the rat race. You lost you in a popularity contest or a pushing match on social media. You you lost you worried about what people think about you instead of what God knows about you. You lost you because you you didn't keep doing those basic fundamental things. Look, Christianity isn't hard. If your Christianity is hard, you're doing it without Christ and that's a problem. Because he says, you come to me You're burdened, you're heavy laden, you're stressed, you're worn out, you're weary, you're exhausted. Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. He will give you hope. He will give you joy. He will give you peace. He will give you patience in his presence. He will give you kindness and gentleness, love and mercy. He will give you eternity. He will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. He will give you victory over the enemy. He will give you an ability to break up with everything that's breaking you down. In Christ, in Christ alone, you will find everything and more that you will ever need. He's faithful. He's the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, come to me. Will you do it? Because I'll hear in your voice in a second if you're doing it or not. As our amazing and wonderful worship team closes us. And as we consider the King of our heart. May it be found true on Judgment Day, brothers and sisters, that there was no other king on the throne of our heart but the King Jesus 
who lived, died, resurrected, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, coming back again one day because he wants your hearts. He can't heal what's been hurt if he can't have access to it. Open up. Let it flow. Let it grow. And remind your face to let it show you saved. Smile. Laugh. The world can't be laughing because they're going to hell. You're going to heaven. Joke it up. <laughs>